The following audio is from The Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. All right, what's going on, Grove Church? Good to see you all here today. My name is Andrew, and this is Kristen Rude. And her and I thought would thought it'd be fun in part five of our series that we're on called Family Ever After. We thought it'd be fun and interesting to talk about uh, what it means to be a godly woman and also what it means to be a godly man. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, and I think all of you are going to appreciate it. And um, it's not just for the married people. This is not gender roles in the classic sense of what you've heard before necessarily. This is for every woman and every man, every boy, every girl, not just if you're married. Love it. So with that, I do want to thank Kristen. Kristen is an incredible thinker. I call her Professor Rude, okay? She's amazing. And you're going to get far more content and enjoyment from her, from her thoughts than mine, all right? But it's going to be a, a, a really cool time. I want to start, if you have a Bible, if you're taking notes, I want to start in Genesis 1, 26 through 27. We're going to jump right in. And I want to read this. It's on the screen as well. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, And over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. Here's the the key to this message. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is where theologians get the belief that we hold to, which is the imago Dei, the image of God, that both male and female, man and woman, were made equally in the image of God. It is so important to know that both male and female are equally together when it comes to how God views us. In fact, we should care for and respect both genders as being equal with God. One is not better than the other. However, one is definitely different than the other. Uh, A couple months ago, we did a fight night here for uh, married couples, and the image that they gave about the differences between men and women was this one. And I think this fits perfectly, the differences between men and women, okay? But with that being said, I'm going to let Kristen go first. Ladies always go first and talk about what it means to be a godly woman. Yes. And I just have a few moments, um, really, to share with the ladies. But I want, to, I want you to hear my heart today because I really want you to leave this place with a renewed um, surge of God's love and purpose for you as a unique woman. And Nick said, Pastor Nick said a few um, weeks ago, and I think he was talking about the children at the time, but children need a better story. Well, we need a better story. We as women and we as men need a better story. And um, Psalm 119, 143 says, as pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. And what does that mean, his commands? In his word. I want you to take his word today and um, walk away with just a renewed, um, just a lift in your spirit to be the man and the woman that God created you to be. And really, women, in our culture today, we are having a moment, aren't we? Between the girl power attitude, the Me Too movement, the women's marches, the nasty woman pride, the fighting for equality, it goes on and on and on. And um, 
obviously there is some value in some of this, particularly with the Me Too movement. And in no way do we as Christians, we as a church, um, condone any sort of sinful, really, behavior from man oppressing women in any way. That's not what I'm saying. But it's a great time to be a woman, and it's a terrible time to be a man, and I feel sorry for you guys at this moment. And I do want to speak in this for just for a moment, because this is a big thing right now in our culture, and it's a delicate issue. And I think, first of all, I think it's important to know that uh, we are against all kind of sexual misconduct of any kind. But I, I do want to make sure we understand that not all men are sexual abusers. And I think right now for men, at least, at least for me personally, I feel this temptation maybe to want to shrink back from who I am as a man or shrink back in my identity because men are getting very embarrassed right now for good reason because of what they're doing. At the same time, I believe this is the prime opportunity for godly men, men who are full of integrity, men who are full of uh, right living and have pure hearts and pure desires and pure actions to not shrink back and to not continue to fight for what it means to be a godly man. I think right now we feel a little hesitant to say anything or do anything because we feel embarrassed for our gender, but we must say something, especially for men who are doing things the right way. The last thing I want to say about this, and then Kristen's going to continue here, that when in society men fail, we all fail. In fact, anyone advocating for men to fail and believes it won't affect you, it most certainly will affect you when men fail. And so I just want to say that because I think it's important for a lot of guys in this room who do not associate with any of that kind of behavior, but yet feel a little sheepish right now about being a man. So going from there, that's, that's the me too. But this girl power, and it's more of the attitude behind it. I mean, you may innocently wear the t-shirt, girl power or whatever, and that's fine. Um, but in essence, it's really a worldly attitude, and the devil is really enjoying this because it's women trying to kind of elbow their way up and stand on top of man and undo really God's design and set purpose and plan for um, men and women working in harmony the way that he really, uh, before the fall, wanted it to work. And so we as godly women, we have to have a voice and we should stand secure in our place in God's order and in the same way have respect for the men in our lives and in our society. That's what we should be standing for. Because after all, the Bible is our measuring stick. So the things that are coming at you from the culture, you should be questioning everything. Questioning everything. It may seem innocent on the surface level, but underneath, where is this headed? Where are we going here? So what does it mean to be a woman? What is our role in creation? Um, and he read the scripture about us being made in the image of God, and it's foundational that we grasp that because um, God wasn't done with just man. He made woman, and, she, and he made her separate or different than he did all of the rest of creation because she came out of man and was the last thing that was created. And see, we are, men and women, equally made in God's image and equal in worth, but we're also different by design 
and reflect aspects of God's characteristics differently. I have uh, time for three responsibilities or three roles of women this morning. And number one, women are the helper, not the head. We are called to submit. And this one, I think, has been touched on probably more than anything I'll say today. Um, but, but I have to say it because it's the truth. Uh, you can look at Ephesians 5.22. And um, a quote from Elizabeth Elliot, she says it really well here. Uh, she is an author. She was the wife of the missionary that got martyred and killed for his faith. Um, she says it this way. The image of God could not be fully reflected without the elements of rule, submission, and union. So just because women are called to be the helper and we're called to submit to man, um, we should not feel bad about this. That is our place in the perfect design. Because if you think about it, even Jesus was not too proud to submit to his father. He wasn't trying to claw his way up. Uh, uh, Matthew 26, 39, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus was not too proud to submit. All right, I'm going to move on from there. Secondly, women are, in our essence, manifestations, hear this, manifestations of God's beauty. And I'm going to give you a couple proofs for this. But first, I'm going to read a quote from Stacey Eldridge in Captivating, which is available today. If you haven't read it, you can buy it in the back. Um, she says this, The world cheapens and prostitutes beauty, making it all about a perfect figure few women can attain. But Christians minimize it too, or over-spiritualize it, making it all about character. We must recover the prize of beauty. The church must take it back. Beauty is too vital to lose. God gave Eve a beautiful form and a beautiful spirit. She expresses beauty in both. Better, she expresses beauty simply in who she is. Like God, it is her essence. And this is not just physical beauty. We were created with a beautiful form and a beautiful spirit. And I want you to hear me. I had that italicized on purpose, simply in who she is. Um, because if you're, if you're feeling insecure, maybe in the way that you look, maybe feeling insecure in comparing yourself to others, you are beautiful simply in who you are. Because you reflect the image of God. That's powerful. We reflect the real beauty because God himself is the essence of beauty. Think about Psalm 19.1. The heavens tell the glory of God. The skies display his marvelous craftsmanship. The splendor of the king clothed in majesty. I could go on and on with that. He is beautiful. He is color and texture and lushness and creation. The beauty is all around us. And he longs to be told he's beautiful. Think about what we, what we sang this morning. He's good. 
but he's beautiful. Have you told him he's beautiful? The word beauty is mentioned actually 125 times in the Bible. You can go through and do a word study if this interests you further. And I think it should, but that's just me. Um, But 125 times just that word is mentioned in the Bible. So it is God in his essence beautiful, and women are created to manifest that. Second proof, women are specifically addressed about our appearance and our demeanor in the Bible. We are spoken to about this, not the men. The men aren't told to dress modestly and be, be aware of the jewelry and the hair style that they have. It is because um, God acknowledges that we were created with this um, desire to be beautiful and to um, live this way. But I want to read 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 10. And I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. See how it can go to the extreme. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things that they do. And then 1 Peter 3, 3, 4. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty that depends on fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should be known for the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. See, he's saying he knows our um, desire and our bent sort of to want to dress a certain way and have the beautiful clothes and have all that. But he's also, he's saying, yes, that is part of you, but it's all about the inner beauty. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. And so beauty is more than just physical. It comes out of our hearts. And we've all seen that um, enviably gorgeous woman who's like a 10 on the scale, a 10 or 11, but then she opens her mouth and she drops all the way to a (laughs) 2. Or the opposite. Maybe you've seen someone who's maybe moderately attractive in the world's eyes, but they open their mouth and they exude this beauty and this kindness, and she goes from a 2 to a 10. So no matter how you feel or where you are on the spectrum of that, you are beautiful simply because of who you are, and you are beautiful because of what you're allowing the Holy Spirit to cultivate inside of your heart. And the third proof for this is just simple biology. It's the way men and women were wired. Women were made to be the... Um, how do I use that word? Seducers in a way, but that's not, you know what I'm saying, in a good way. And men were created visually. That's just the way creation was made. Um, what, why, why is beauty such a big deal? Why is it so important? Why, why does the church need to recapture it? We as Christ followers, we as the ones that know where all true beauty comes from, should be the ones that are most appreciating it. Don't you think? In Captivating, she covers this in greater detail, and I'm, I'm just going to give you some of my examples here. Beauty speaks to us. Think about an art gallery, the park, your child's face, a timely word spoken from a friend. It invites us. Think about the opening notes of your favorite song. It invites you in. It nourishes us. Think about, about a, your Thanksgiving table. Think about a well-prepared prepared meal. I can't say that word. Um, it comforts us. 
There's a reason we bring uh, flowers to someone in the hospital. There's a reason we bring flowers to someone that's lost someone who's died because those flowers comfort. It inspires us and it's transcendent. There's no denying when you see a certain picture or hear a certain song or my nephew, I just want to smother him because I love him so much. He's so beautiful. Beauty, you, you feel that ache. You guys know what I'm talking about. When you, when you see something so beautiful, it makes you ache. And it's that, it's that ache for what we're created to be and for heaven, obviously. But you just want to hug it or eat it or consume it or just glorify God because he's so wonderful. He created everything beautiful. He is beauty. And we, as women, are reflections of that. I don't care how you feel. That's the truth. And maybe you need to pause in your life. Maybe, remember what I said about the better story? Maybe you haven't looked up from your cell phone to see the beauty of nature all around you, the beauty in your wife's face or your child or whatever. We should be nourished in our souls by this and then praise the creator who made it, who made it. Um, my last point, women are life givers. We birth people out of our bodies. What a miracle, right? Have you thought about that? But it's more than just the literal sense. Yeah, we give life, but it's, it's about who we are in our essence. We breathe life into our homes. You can read Proverbs 31 later on. We breathe life into our families. We nurture. We love those around us, the ones that we work with. Um, we care and touch. and um, We breathe life into our relationships. We want to talk things through. Someone's crying. We want to nurture and hug and talk and engage. And it's just different. There's something different about the way women are made versus men. And obviously, there are some anomalies to this. I'm not going to deny that. But for the most part, women, we're created to be very relational. And we breathe life into our surroundings just by the essence of who we are. Part of that life, Proverbs touches this over and over. Kindness is the rule when she gives instruction. Kindness should rule in your home. That's from Proverbs 31. And I encourage you to read that later. Kind words are like honey. Awesome. Thank you, Kristen. I love it. Okay, I get 10 minutes. Kristen got 20. Okay, so we knew that going into this. I get 10 minutes to, to talk to the fellas. Um, so let, let me start here. Um, that, that there are different types of men that I've known and met and, and respect, and I just have a few. This is not exhaustive, uh, but there's the intellectual man you know, one who loves to read, process, and think through things is just a natural learner. Uh, there's the jock, the, the guy who loves sports and plays them. March Madness right now is happening. That's a blast to you, and sports radio is always on. There's the rugged man, the dude who loves the outdoors, hunting, fishing, camping. The tech man, gadgets, computers, game systems, and all the above are your passions. There's the creative man or the musician, loves music, the arts, culture, style, and the like is your thing. There's the car man, you know, loves hearing engines roar, working on cars, always has a project, going to car shows. And really, no matter where you fall on this spectrum of hobbies or styles, 
I think the first thing I want every man to hear from me today is that you have what it takes to be a godly man. And I say this because I've had to wrestle through my own insecurities about the things that I don't know how to do or the kind of man that I am not. For example, I, it always comes out whenever guys talk to me about their cars. Okay, I am not the car man ever, okay? The most I know about cars is from the Disney movie cars, um, you know, Lightning McQueen and Mater. And so I, I love when guys are like, yeah, man, I was pulling out my hammy the other day, and I'm like, cool, dude. I was going on a walk with my kid. You know, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. But I think a lot of times men can feel wildly insecure that we're not a certain type of a man. And the reason why we feel this way is because we place labels on what men should be good at. Men should be good at fixing their homes. Men should be good at working on the car. Men should be providers, good with children, hardworking, sensitive, and the list goes on and on and on. And I think we always tell women that you are enough. I think it's good for men every now and then, now and then to hear you are enough. The way God's created you, your gift set, your talents, your abilities is wildly enough to be used by God and to be a godly man. Three things here for you about what it means to be a godly man. Number one, a godly man loves and pursues Jesus. And I know this may sound obvious because we're talking about what it means to be a godly man. But when I say that, I think the, the immediate response is a problem. And the problem is that a lot of times in the church world, we've made Jesus out to feel or look like Mr. Rogers. Okay? Now, there's nothing wrong with Mr. Rogers, all right? He's a tender guy. He's done great for public television, okay? But he's also kind of soft wearing a cardigan, okay? And for, for a lot of times in church world, we make Jesus seem to be really soft and tender. Now, I want to read to you a story out of Luke 13 where Jesus is the exact opposite of being soft and tender. So on, on a Sabbath, a day you weren't supposed to work, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Her view was the ground for 18 years. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Now, the religious leaders, I'm going to pick it up here in verse 14, says, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on these days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord, Jesus, answered him. Okay, this is to the religious people. This is to the, the people who are mean-spirited and legalistic. Here's what Jesus says to them. You hypocrites, each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? He goes on to ridicule them. Then, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. See, for the religious crowd, for the mean-spirited people, for the legalistic people who had no grace and were all truth, Jesus went after them with harsh words and rebuked them. And see, a lot of times when we talk about men being like Jesus or pursuing Jesus, we think that we're calling them to be soft. The reality of it is Jesus was the man who casted out demons. Jesus was the one who healed the blind. And Jesus, catch this, in just a few weeks' time, gentlemen, is the man who endured the cross and suffered 
What kind of man is that? That is a strong man to go to the cross. And so I kind of look at it like this. If you were a leper or a prostitute in Jesus' society, you didn't need the judge or the king. You needed the Jesus that was tender and full of mercy, didn't you? Because nobody would touch you. Nobody cared about you. That was the kind of Jesus you needed. But if you were being religious and you were not welcoming of sinners, you needed to be rebuked and you needed to be corrected. And today, it goes a little bit like this. I have two daughters, Lydia and June. Lydia's going to be three in, uh, in June, which is crazy. And if she falls on the trail and scrapes her knees and she's crying, that's an opportunity for me to be tender, is it not? To pick her up and to comfort her. However, when she's 15, gentlemen, and she's hanging out with some boy and he wants to talk to me, Aslan's coming out, right? Right? There's going to be a strong approach to that conversation. Can I hear an amen? All right. I love what Psalm says here. Psalm 62. Once God has spoken, two things have I heard. I feel like this verse was made for men. That you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. So when I say we need to be more like Jesus, I'm telling you today, we need to remain strong. We need to remain being people that look, look up to as a strong tower, but there are times where we need to be tender, where we need to be sensitive, and I believe men can be both. Number two, a godly man has a divine calling to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership. See, men are called to lead, not rule. There's a big difference between leading and ruling. When you rule, you become a dictator that loves power and control. But when you lead and lead as a servant leader, you become respected, honored, and valued. Let me speak into the submission portion here. Women have no problem submitting to this Christ-like servant leadership. See, when the, the, when the order's happening properly and a man is being a servant leader and leading his home and leading his family and leading in places that God is asking him to, men have, women have no problem submitting to that. It's when men get prideful and arrogant, which we can, get on a power trip and like the power and the control and like it being all about us. That is when the family gets, gets broken down. So we're called to be Christ-like as a servant leader, called to lay down our lives for others. That is not to be walked on, but it is meant to be an example for our families and those that we love to follow. The last one here comes out of the book, Wild at Heart. Two resources available today, Captivating, that Kristen mentioned. Wild at Heart is John Eldridge, same author, different book. It comes out of this book here that a godly man is wild with adventure, okay? Men, we need to get back to this. We need adventure. With no sense of risk, drive, or something to live for, we can get lost. We can lose our heart. We can lose our way. We must get our warrior boy heart back. See, I grew up with two older brothers. If you're raising sons right now, and all they want to do is destroy your house and destroy each other, let them at it, all right? Put them out in the field and let them go nuts, because that's what boys were meant to do. We were born to run, like the song says. We were born for freedom and adventure and broken bones and scraped knees. And the crazier, the better. That's what boys were meant to live for. And there, there's an adventure in all of us to live for. 
See, here's the thing. This is for every man. doesn't matter what type of man you are or what your hobbies are. You have an adventure to live for. And if we do not find the proper outlet to exercise that adventure, we will still exercise it, but we will exercise it in the wrong way, at the wrong timing, with the wrong person, in the wrong situation. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because every man has an adventure to live for. Every man has a fight inside of him. Every man has this warrior spirit in him to want to chase something, to want to compete, to want to win, to want to go after it. And so as godly men, it's not a matter of whether or not you have that in you. You go, I don't have a bone of that in me. There's nothing like that in me. I'll find out what you like. I'll put you in a situation, and I guarantee you that will come out of you because you were made that way. You were made with an adventure to live for. This is Howard Mercy. He says, the spiritual life cannot be made suburban. It is always frontier, and we who live in it must accept and even rejoice that it remains untamed. I'll give you a practical example of being wild with adventure. Uh, past three or four summers in a row now, not last year, but uh, past three or four summers in a row, myself, um, a couple of my brother-in-law, some other guys here at the Grove, we always take a summer hike up to um, Mount Vesper. It's off of the Mountain Loop Highway there in Granite Falls. It's an eight-mile round trip. One time we stayed overnight. Elevation gain of 4,200 feet. Highest point at the summit of the mountain is almost close to 6,300 feet. The whole backpack with the tent and the big old thing on your back. Hard, okay? If you want to know if you're a man or not, do this hike, Okay? <laughs> I think halfway up, I puked. I think Nick puked. I mean, it was amazing, okay? But we were not giving up because we had something to prove to every man, an adventure to live for, okay? As you get to the, there's Nick and I, as you get to the base of the mountain, it's just beautiful. There's just like this bowl shape with uh, the, just the sides of these mountains and snow melts and creates this, you know, man-made freezing snow water lake. I mean, it's just unbelievable, amazing, so beautiful to look at. And what do we do after hiking, you know, at that 4,200 feet elevation? We get down to our skibbies, okay, every single dude, and we take the polar bear plunge, okay? And the, the, as fast as you jump in is as fast as you want to get out. It's freezing. It's ridiculousness. It's nonsense. It's absurd. But it's also exhilarating and exciting and when we're sitting on the rocks in our underwear eating lunch, it's incredible, okay? It's absolutely incredible. Some of you are like, that's just flat out weird, okay? But it's not because it's an adventure to live for. It's something that we can do that exercises that outlet. And so I, I want to encourage you, you know, you hear about guys that they have a project they're working on at their house, right? Or they got, you know, they're out in the shed, you know, and they've been there all day. That's because men need an adventure to live for. They need something to fight for. They need something to get that adrenaline and that excitement out. And so I want to encourage every guy in here, I don't know what it was for you as a kid, but you got to find that again as a man. You can't be so cooped up in, in the job and the work and the family that you don't find that adventure to live for. And especially if you have sons, you want to get that into their spirit and pull that out of them. Give them that adventure to live for with you. What an excitement if you have sons to be able to do that with them. Last thing I want to give to you here is um, 
is a list of resources. We have resources available today. Wild at Heart, you can purchase for men, captivating for women. More lists of resources here, incredible ones on sexual purity. Um, some great sermon series by Pastor Matt Chandler on this idea. There's some other great books for, for women. Uh, Kristen mentioned Let Me Be a Woman by Elizabeth Elliot. Great book. And so again, list of resources we'll make available on our Facebook page as well. Last thing here, and then I'll pray for you. Man, the ripples of a godly man. What happens when a, a man chooses to fight for God, to fight for his family, to be a servant leader, that will send ripples across your family. And so I want to encourage every man to hear that today. I have what it takes to be a godly man. Last thing I want to say is we would do a great job at loving and respecting women and women loving and respecting men. And as a church, if we can do this right and we can respect the differences, obviously there's differences, but if we can respect the differences and place value and appreciation for both genders, I believe God can be glorified when we do so. Can I hear an amen? amen. Let me pray for you today and then uh, we'll wrap up service. God, again, we thank you today for who you are, for the truth of your word. First of all, today, God, I pray for every gal in the room, every lady in the room, that God, more than anything, they would realize, God, they are life givers. God, they epitomize in their essence, as Kristen said, beauty and wonder and awe. And we thank you, God, for the female gender. God, I also thank you for every man in the room. Like that quote, God, that says, all men die, but few men really live. I pray we would live, God. I pray we would live with a tenacity to, li to love like Jesus to be strong like Jesus, but also tender. I pray we would have that tenacity to, to lead our families, to lead in our workplaces as servant leaders. And more than anything, God, I pray we'd find outlets for that adventure, that wonder, that thrill. And we thank you, God, that when men stand up as godly men, when men lead the way, God, we thank you that it sends ripples for our families. Generations will be blessed because of it. And we thank you, God, that you will be well pleased. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.